Howdy, everybody. Welcome to another uh, BP Movie Journal. My name is David Bax. I'm Tyler Smith. We are the hosts of the Battleship Pretension Podcast. This is, if you don't know, uh, an ancillary episode. Oh, yes. A seri- an ongoing series of uh, us recounting what we've watched in the time span since the last time we did one of these. Yeah. Which, in this case, is one week. Seems odd to be. Uh, I guess maybe we should summarize what, what this is every week, or more, at least more often. Yeah. It just seems strange to recap it now of all times. Every, every like four months. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> I don't remember when did we start. It's the first Thursday of the month. Let's do it that then. Okay. So all right. Uh, so now how uh, you've got some more, more for the first time in weeks, yeah. maybe months. I think you've got more stuff to talk about than I do. That's true. This yes. week. So why don't you go ahead and start? Okay. So uh, I mentioned on I think the most recent uh, episode of BP that uh, my wife and I went to uh, a video store and rented a number of movies. And that evening, as we uh, ate our Choco Tacos, we watched uh, L- uh, Louis Leterrier's, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, Now You See Me. It was a film that both of us were interested in uh, in the theaters, but we weren't able to see it. And frankly, no, well, now, you, now you see it. Oh, you son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> but it's... But yeah, it, it seemed like a fun thing to us, uh, but it also seemed very slight, uh, which is why it wasn't a huge priority. But it seemed like this is a if this is a video rental, if ever there was one. Right. And so, um, uh, and it's a lot of fun. I liked it a lot. Uh, it is, as I said, it was slight. It is slight as a feather. Um, it is uh, one could say sleight of hand because it's, yeah. ma- it's about magic. About magic. Yeah. Um, I don't really know what sleight of hand is. Uh, I feel like it gets used a lot, but I'm not sure people I mean, are using it correctly. Well, I just assumed uh, sleight of hand means uh, like for, I mean, not necessarily with close-up magic, but just the idea of uh, having, you know, light fingers and that people don't notice what you're doing with your with your hands and such. That's okay. what I, well. t- and is sleight spelled differently? Then what? Than the way I would assume. I guess that depends on S- how. S-L-I-G-H-T. No, it's S-L-E-I. That's what I thought. Okay, so I'm sure it does mean something else. But anyway, uh, but the film, uh, Louis Leteria is actually, uh, he's a filmmaker that I like. Um, and I think he's a really nice virtuoso uh, type of action director. Not that it's necessarily an action movie, but there are some scenes that are just so much fun to watch because of the way the camera swirls around he's he's sort of like he's like a weird he's sort of like a bizarro michael bay in that michael bay and a number of other directors will have kind of the chaos cinema that uh, our friend matthias stork has talked about and just uh super quick cutting like a cut every half a second mm-hmm. louis leterrier has makes films that are almost just as manic and just as propulsive but in this case, it has to do with how the camera is moving as opposed to how it is being cut together. Mm. Um, of course, that plays a part, too. But um, it's just this constantly swirling camera, and it really adds an energy to the film. And uh, so I, I enjoyed it. It is certainly not. And there's a twist at the end that is that seems like it would have been written by Donald Kaufman, uh, if that makes any <laughs> sense. But uh but there are things that I like about it. And, you know, if you're looking for a nice, casual, fun time, emphasis on casual and on fun, um, then I'd, I'd suggest it. It's, I enjoyed it a lot. All right. 
Um, I'll go next. Um, I watched a movie called A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Oh, shot in my hometown of Taft, California. That's right. Yes, but taking place in in Iran. An Iranian ghost town, basically. (laughs) Yeah. That should um, tell you about where I grew up. Yeah, in a uh, fictional Iranian city called Bad City. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen the movie? No, I haven't. I you just I know, know a lot about it. <laughs> I know a lot about it because it was shot in tap. Yeah, That's I, not a I thing that happens that. a lot. I understand that. Yeah, uh, it's very cool. I, I I think it's in its own way. Um, I I I, I want to say like, oh, this is a powerful new voice in cinema, and it's great. You know, because I'm always on my 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 uh, on tears about representation the Indeed. fact that it's you know a, a female driven female written and directed mm. uh movie about a female vampire in tehran of all places like yeah. i should be shouting about it it's but it's just it's very cool and enjoyable mm-hmm. uh but i also do think it's kind of to you to borrow uh, your term it's kind of slight okay <laughs> um i believe our, it's, i it's believe our uh, one of our writers josh long said something very funny he said how is it that only lovers left alive is not the most hipster vampire of 2014 <laughs> yeah and, and this will this does feel very much like uh like jim jarmusch could have made it in a lot of ways although i don't think i would you could call me on this this is uh, I could be completely wrong. I feel like Jim Jarmusch doesn't work in scope very often. I feel like he shoots in Academy, like 185. Yeah, more it, often than it not. seems to, yeah. And this is a scope film um, that uh, makes great use of its frame. It's beautiful to look at. It's a yeah. beautiful black and white uh, cinematography. Um, and uh, Anna Lily Amanpour, the director, has a great, uh, a great eye for shooting um, all different manner of stuff in that way from, you know, cityscapes and interiors to just bodies and uh and it really is i feel like you could use the film uh in film school to to to, because every 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 shot is 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 selected and composed um very meticulously and with a purpose it Mm -hmm. feels like and so uh i think yeah people who are really into movies will will love this i I think i would enjoy it a lot yeah it's it's not the revolutionary, you know, uh, new voice in cinema that I kind of hoped it would be. I think, but um, that's not really fair, actually, for me to yeah. Uh, do you think that's, put that uh, onto? Do you think the director is? Because I feel like it's almost an, an intangible thing. You can almost tell when a filmmaker is genuinely trying to do something, not merely ambitious, but when they're really buying into what they're doing and not merely just committing the whole time, but they really seem to be taking what they're doing seriously as if they are saying through their film, can you believe this shit? Do you think that's a film, the filmmaker doing it? Or do you think that's what a lot of people have put onto it? Uh, I mean, are you, uh, what are you talking? Are you talking about the, um, just the, like you said, like you were hoping it would be this thing. Yeah. I think is that of, based I, th- on- I think that's more just the idea. Like I said, that this is about a um, a lone female vampire who kills men in okay. Tehran of all places. It feels like it's going to be a statement movie. Okay, and it's not. It's more like an uh, it's it's, and this is a very high compliment. You compare it more to the early work of like a Quentin Tarantino, where hmm. it's about uh, it, it's more about its uh, influences and exercising. It's Anna Lily Amanpour exercising her her impulses and and what she um can do with yeah. uh with with the camera with editing and i 
so it, by that uh, rubric, I actually look forward to more films yeah. from her because uh, I think she's got some great ones uh, in her. And again, if you like movies in the way that would lead you to listen to this podcast, mm-hmm. you will almost certainly enjoy A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. So when you say that it's, it's uh, in your own terms, uh, unfair, it's that you look at everything surrounding, you've looked at everything surrounding the film and thought this would be a great opportunity uh, right. to I, try and do something bigger when in fact it's just content to be what it is. I, I projected some expectations onto it, which is not to say that they're not there. I think that to some extent, if you're making the movie that I just described, you can't help, but it can't help yeah. but have something to say. Yeah. Um, and just the fact that it's a sexy movie that takes place in, uh, I keep saying Tehran, but it's not Tehran. It's bad city. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact that it has, you know, sexy stuff in it and some, I mean, it, it shows sex in sexy ways and in unsexy ways. Cause there's also like a pimp and a mm-hmm. prostitute uh, relationship in there. Um, just by that, it, 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 and taking place in Iran, it is, uh, definitely a bold movie, uh, and the circumstances that lead to the movie and inform the movie can't be separated from the Mm -hmm. movie itself. So it's not that it's a a movie that's completely apolitical. I don't think, I mean, I personally don't think it's possible to make a movie that's completely apolitical. Um, but yeah, it was unfair of me to place, um, certain expectations on it okay um yeah i'm i'm did how did you see it i have a screener from the publicist uh, like a an online screener i don't know if the link the link probably should still be there okay i imagine i could share it with you right yeah we're both we're hosts here that's true of the same show so i imagine if it's all right yeah pass it along what's mine is yours um damn right okay uh i saw the wachowskis jupiter ascending Okay. <laughs> I really want it to be good. I want to I, ignore everything that I've heard about it, and I want it to be great. It, I'll say this. It, it's, not, it. it's not necessarily forgettable. It's just, it's one of those things, you know, it has a nice visual flair. Um, and there are certain story aspects that I like a lot. And that's when I remember the Wach- that the Wachowskis are more big picture storytellers. When it comes to the specific writing, that's when they get really hung up on exposition and right. that sort of thing. And so... Um, but one thing that I really like is that it, it really does create, it creates a whole world and it seems very expansive and you feel like you get a pretty good sense of, of how this world operates. Um, the problem is that the world is exposed primarily through people just saying stuff, which I understand you have a main character who doesn't understand who, you know, this is all new to her. Uh, but I feel like there's a way to give exposition without just sitting down and saying it. Um, and I feel like what they'll, what they sometimes try to do is give exposition in the midst of maybe of like an action scene. Um, so that maybe it doesn't feel boring, but what it winds up doing is just being like, I feel like this is a conversation for another time. (laughs) You guys are about to die. Do you really want this to be the last thing you say? Um, and so it's just, it's one of those kind of things, but, uh, but there are some good performances in there. Um, uh, Eddie Redmayne is not one of them. Really? It is astounding. It's almost as though he did his acting while they weren't looking the whole time. <laughs> because it seemed like somebody should have said, uh, no, Eddie. Because, like, <laughs> no offense to him, I think he's actually a very good actor with some very interesting uh, instincts. But uh, And 
if anybody who watches Jupiter Jupiter Ascending will wind up doing an impression of his performance. Oh, okay. Here's mine. Okay. Everything is just very. Oh, he just talks like this all the time. Just everything. <laughs> everything is just so, so quiet. Unless he's yelling. <laughs> so that's the performance. You know, it's you like Jiminy. Want to see the movie more? It's like Jiminy Glick. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's like wow. He found a way to ham it up while being really quiet. That's really something. But uh, but he is one of three siblings that are trying to uh, abduct this woman for their own reasons, and uh, and. As she's being passed from one sibling to another and you see their rivalry, that actually I like a lot because uh, you get uh, Douglas Booth, who is an actor that I consider to be kind of bland in other things, but in the right role, because he's like a good looking, a very specific type of good looking guy. Uh, and it, and he plays that and it works really well. And then for the life of me, I wish I could remember the name of their sister, but she's great too. So there are some good performances, some nice, nice visuals, but in the end, the story is just kind of whatever. And, uh, and, and I just, I applaud them for, for trying to do something kind of new. Uh, mm-hmm. but I feel like it should have said story by and directed by the Wachowskis, written by and then just anybody else uh that would have been nice <laughs> hold on okay what are you working on um looking up the name of the actress who plays their sister okay who is now on name alone my favorite actress okay what's the name her name is tuppence middleton oh that's right yes yes and if you're yeah apparently she was in the imitation game so she has worked with benedict cumberbatch okay that so this is a, the two greatest names that there are <laughs> tuppence middleton <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what her Patronus is. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, uh, how many more do you have movie-wise before you get uh, to two. two? Two. Um, one two. new, one repeat. Uh, what's that? One new and one uh, repeat viewing. Oh, okay. So I'll do mine and then we'll both do then we'll do yours and then we'll both do repeat viewing. Okay. Um, I like that we figure this out on the fly. So my other, the only other movie, as I was going to say new movie, new to me movie mm-hmm. Um, it's about 80 years old. Oh, is, good. Um, I watched Carl Theodore Dreyer's Vampire. Oh, with a Y, right? Yes, with yeah, a Y yeah. and yeah, no E on the end. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's, have you seen it? Uh, I've seen, um, scenes from it. It's astounding. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I, I'm off, I, I'm just so taken when like movies, like, I mean, I guess at that point, cinema was a few decades old, but it still mm-hmm. seems like, from our point of view, it seems so long ago, and it still seems so new that it's like, how could someone without like, without the decades of stuff to draw on, mm-hmm. be so good at oh yeah <laughs> at making movies? It, it's kind of astounding. Yeah, it's that's something that I always find fun, and especially when you go back to like the silent filmmakers who are just going to try anything um, that, you know, it's even though there are older, you know, I I love any number of of older movies. um, There is, I think, a very shitty instinct in me. And I think maybe in most uh, filmgoers to look back on the past as very safe, which is to say, you know what you're going to get because it was new. You feel like they're not going to explore anything too. uh, 
too risky and they certainly won't expl- explore it in a risky way. And then you run across somebody like Dreyer, right. um, who's a passion of Joan of Arc I saw last year for the first time, and somebody who just has such an amazing visual sense and who who can create films. And Eisenstein was like this as well. Movies that are risky now the, from an artistic well, yeah. standpoint. I mean, and Yeah, and he, I mean, he definitely does things that um, I think, uh, obviously the, we're talking about a difference of decades here, but like the Georges Méliès mm-hmm. um, stuff, he's doing tricks. Like, yeah. I don't know if you've seen the part where the guy walks into this like uh, empty like castle and he sees shadows walking around on the walls with no people attached to them. Oh, no, I haven't seen and that so then, and, But then the shadow walks out and you see a soldier, a real, you know, real life, not a shadow, a real mm. soldier sitting on a bench with no shadow behind him. Hmm. And the shadow sits down and becomes his shadow. Hmm. And then there's a cut because, you know, it's yeah. still 1932. They couldn't do it yeah. that much. There's a cut, like, to the guy looking and then a cut back. Everything in the same position, but the, sh- the soldier stands up and it's clearly they've moved the light. So it actually is his shadow at that point. It's really, yeah. that's really stunning stuff. But there's also stuff that I think... I mean, if I had seen this movie when I was 15 or, or something, I might not have picked up on uh, on certain things as being um, so – I'm not sure what the word is, but so uh, unexpected for the time. There's – when the main character is going to this, he's trying to – he gets to this inn that appears – when he first gets there, it appears to be abandoned mm-hmm. uh, or at least unoccupied at the moment. Um, yeah, not abandoned, but it looks like there's no one there. Um and so he knocks on the door of there's like a tavern connected to the end. He knocks on the door of the, of the tavern, and the camera then goes to inside the tavern. There's still no one there, mm-hmm. and you see his out. It's like a frosted glass door. You see his outline knocking, and the camera is just sort of subtly pushing in toward the door. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a shot now you would see in any movie. Yes, but it's so shocking to see something that seems that subtle and sophisticated. Yeah. Um. It, it, from 1932. And, it seems like something from a modern horror movie, very yeah, much so. Yeah. Uh, and, and then there's certain things, you know, he has this sort of, uh, it, the movie gets weird. Like, to the point where I kind of had to, like, go online and look up the synopsis afterwards and be like, what exactly was supposed to have happened? Because hmm. he, like, gets drugged and has a dream, but then he wakes up from his dream, but then he splits into two people. So I'm not sure if it's, like, still a dream or not. Hmm. It is It is weird. <laughs> Um, but when he's like, he has his, his dream about, uh, being buried alive, he's put into a coffin and carried, carried out and the camera stays POV looking up at the ceiling. Like he's being, Hmm. like he's in the coffin being carried out of the house and you see the doctor, like you see just the ceiling moving and then the doctor, who's the bad guy smoking a cigar and sort of leaning into frame over Hmm. the thing as the camera moves out, as the coffin moves out. Yeah. Uh, just lots of really cool, cool stuff. It's so fascinating. And I'm certainly not the first one to say this, but it's so fascinating how quickly, uh, and I think we probably mentioned this when we did our profile on, uh, FW Murnau, how quickly film became very visually sophisticated and then took, I think all the steps backwards, I don't like to say that, but like it went almost back to the very beginning when sound came along and don't get me wrong. I love, I love the inclusion of sound, but it's just so interesting. Like we think of, of this is technically a sound film. Oh, is it? Okay. It's 1932. Okay. The sound isn't great. And the, um, I was not watching the criterion put this out, but I think it's out of print and, uh, is not available on their Hulu channel. Okay. So I rented this, uh, a kind of crappy version from 
Amazon into video for yeah. like three bucks or, or whatever. Um, and uh, I, I would like to see the Criterion one to see if it looks nicer because this was like the sound was muddy um, and the subtitles were like they're instead of just subtitles they're the ones that have like it's a whole Chiron with a black like background. Mm-hmm. So whenever there's a subtitle on screen, luckily there's not that much talking in the movie. But when there is, the subtitle takes up like the bottom third of the movie of the screen yeah. and completely blocks it out because it has a full like black background. Hmm. That's kind of annoying. I, I I would bet the Criterion version doesn't do that. But yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. It it's uh it's always fun when those when like older films, especially movies as old as that, can surprise you. Yeah, and you can feel just as engaged with them as if you were watching a movie made in 2015. Sure, yeah. maybe even more so in some cases. Yeah, but then but then there's also the part of as the you know uh, guy who went to film school and watches a lot of movies. There's a part of me that is less engaged because I'm I keep constantly taking myself out of it to go. Wow, I can't believe how, Oh, yeah, yeah. How interesting that is. Anyway. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, the last film that I saw that I had not seen before was, I want to make sure I've got the name right, Ruben Ostland. Oh, uh, yeah. Force Majeure. Okay. Which uh, I really loved. It is a bummer I did not get a chance to watch it before we did our top 10, because I think it absolutely would have made it in there. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, yeah, and I, I'll give the listeners a slight uh, bit of background in the about the capacity in which I watched it. So I'm part of a, uh, a, bi- a men's Bible study, and uh, we had listened to a sermon a couple weeks ago that we did not like um, about you know masculinity and that sort of thing. And as I've mentioned on the show before, there's there's been kind of this in the last twenty years. There's been an interesting surge in pastors talking about masculinity. And they te- and they seem to, and I understand f- functionally why this is useful, but they they tend to invoke certain cultural ideas of masculinity. They often tend to go to Braveheart and Saving Private Ryan, that kind of thing. But they'll talk about sports and such, uh, all stuff that <laughs> you know. This is a this is a men's group in Hollywood. Not a lot of us are really into sports or Braveheart. Uh, we're all very sensitive, and so um, and that's the thing. I, invoking the imagery is fine, but it's it's when they start to mistake the cultural definition of masculinity for the actual thing uh, that that it becomes problematic. Um, and so, uh, one thing that the pastor had emphasized was this, this idea of sacrificing. Uh, being willing to sacrifice yourself and that sort of thing um, and and give of yourself and all that is well and good. And as it happens, a friend of mine who does closed captioning uh, mentioned and he said, this sounds a lot like a movie that I watched five times last week uh, <laughs> and and worked on. And, and he said, I don't remember what it was called. Avalanche? I think it was called Avalanche. <laughs> and And... We said, "What's it about?" And he described it, and the few, and a few of us are like, "That's was it called Force Majeure?" And he goes, "That's right. that's it." I think it's Force Majeure or the unexpected virtue of avalanches. <laughs> uh, they can really test your relationship, David. And so, uh, so he mentioned that, and we actually talked a little bit about the movie. And then the guys said, "Hey, we should watch that." And so, for my Bible study this past week, we all watched Force Majeure. And so that is, I watched it in a very specific context. And this idea of identity and uh, what is crucial to a person's identity. And if that thing falters, 
then suddenly what is your identity? Are you anybody anymore? And that sort of thing. And I know that's not necessarily what the movie is about, but because that was the context in which I was watching it, that's kind of the first thing that hit me. But it's about so much more than that. You know what's interesting is I'm trying to think all the conversations when we've you and I talked about Force Majeure in our top ten. Mm-hmm. I talked about Force Majeure with Scott and Aaron on our uh, um, uh, Oscar nominations um, episode. Mm-hmm. We're talking about it again. You talked about it with your men's group. I have not talked to very many women <laughs> about Force Majeure, except for my wife. Actually, I have. But yeah. for the purposes of the conversation, let's say that I haven't. Um, I wonder if they see it as much about... Um, masculinity as we do because when i heard the premise that's where my mind went yeah but his wife is just as much a character as he is in this story absolutely um and especially like the last probably the last two scenes and maybe the last scene things really start to shift to her a lot and it throws things into kind of a it makes things a lot murkier I think, and we can't, I don't want to go into detail now, yeah. but, um, but there's so much going on with the movie. And one thing I yeah, did, the last I, sequence is so great. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> and I'll say this. I don't remember exactly what your submissions for the BPs were, but I think across the board, you had like acting, you submitted, uh, the two main characters and did you submit their buddy? I don't with, think I did with the beard. Right. Oh boy. From Game I, of Thrones, by the way. Oh, okay. Which, yeah. I had only, I had recognized him from only one thing, which was the, uh, Oh, from the thing, the remake of the thing, because he was Norwegian, and of course, uh, the new thing is a prequel, and so all the characters are Norwegian, and so. Um, but he was great, and I had heard that the film was funny. I did not expect it to be as laugh out loud funny as it actually is, while and, also being very and, dramatic. And uh, for whatever this means, it's our kind of funny. Uh, very much so. <laughs> very much so. So okay. Uh, um, so that's the last the way, new movie I saw. I know that you don't watch Game of Thrones. I don't. Um, so you don't know that guy's character's name in Game of Thrones. Okay, what is it? Tormund Giantsbane. <laughs> it's All a right. great name, right? Yeah. George R. R. Martin is good at naming characters. I mean, it's no Tuppence, uh, whatever, Nelson. but it's, Tuppence it's okay. Uh, yeah, Tormund Giantsbane. Okay, so now we're into rewatches. Yes. Um, I've got a couple, but one we don't need to spend too much time on because, uh, it's, you know, it's Pulp Fiction and... <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> uh, it hasn't, it hasn't... I, Literally Honestly, anything that somebody thinks about Pulp Fiction has been said, I'm going to say yeah. a hundred times. Uh, to a certain extent, that's true, actually. But I do find myself finding new things about it mm-hmm. uh, every time I uh, I watch it. I think that's the mark of a good movie. Yeah. And I should have written them down because there were two I wanted to talk about. Now I can only remember one of them. Okay. Um, but uh, the one I remember that it, that had just ne- maybe this is just obvious it's been written about a billion times, but I just never really thought about it before. Is uh, the story at the very beginning of the movie? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not the prologue, but the very beginning post credits of the movie. Okay, is Jules and Vincent right? And they're talking about what happened to a, a guy named Tony, yeah, who works for the same mob boss yeah. that they work for, um, and the rumors that he uh was thrown out of a window for touching uh laying his hands on <laughs> marcel as well as his wife in a familiar way yeah um and then that comes up again in the next uh story yeah. um when vincent actually asks mia about it yeah and she says um the only thing tony ever touched of mine was his hand when he shook it with yeah. my hand when he shook it and then i never at our wedding 
is the, okay. the next thing she's But saying. that's not the important part. Yeah. What's important is that their story ends on a close-up of them shaking hands, which had never occurred to... I had never made the connection hmm. before um, that uh, she goes through a lot more than just a handshake with Vincent yeah. and has an agreement not to tell Marcellus about certain things. Yeah. And it did make, make me wonder if... I had always taken it face value that... This is just a rumor they got it out of control, and what Mia says about Tony no. is um, is true that she doesn't know why it has to do with something else. But uh, it sort of makes me wonder, like maybe this did happen. Maybe no. Marcel is having his uh, employees, <laughs> for lack of a better word, take uh, you know um, keep his wife occupied while he's out of town uh, is something that he does, and maybe things did go a little too far with Tony in the past. Uh, I don't know. Had you ever thought of that before? Uh, I just uh, felt like that close-up of the handshake was so... Uh, I didn't think it of it... really resonated. I didn't think of it to that. that extent, or at least not with the handshake, but I did... I, I always thought that Mia... Not that she was necessarily lying, but this that she... Not that she toys with people, but that she's just the type of person that gets intimate with people, maybe not even physically, but just emotionally. Right. Like, if it happens this easily with Vincent, why couldn't it have happened with Tony? You know, right. and just well, they do, but I mean, Mia and Vincent do seem to have a lot in common. <laughs> yes, that's true. So uh, anyway, I, I loved it. I didn't want to talk too much about it. But there was something else with with Vincent that I wanted to bring up, and now I can't remember. Oh well, it doesn't matter. Is it the um, wonderful line? God damn, that's pretty fucking good milkshake. <laughs> I love that line. Uh, it is funny to think that a five dollar milkshake would be something to you know be taken aback by. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh. But no, the uh, the one I want to talk about a little more. Um, I'm not sure if you watched it, but I went to LACMA, actually, to uh, see a movie I had not seen since I was in high school. Walter Murch's Return to Oz. Oh, yeah. Okay. Have you seen Not to for Oz? many years. Um, it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, and I think it, uh, in some ways it works better. Uh, in, my memory, in my memory, it's just a series of weird sequences yeah. that um, I think has, to me, that my... My recollection of it is just more about its overall weirdness than about it its existence as an object of mm-hmm. cinema, you know? And it definitely is much better than that. Although, tell that... Ugh, you get the worst people at these kind of things. Okay. Because there are people down the row from us, this one guy in particular, who... I think, you know, I know I'm projecting. Sometimes I, like, write little backstories for people who, people who are obnoxious in movies. Okay. <laughs> but I really get the impression this guy came to see the movie ironically. And no matter what he was seeing, he was going to behave. Oh, yeah. So, you know, there's a talking chicken in the movie. I don't know okay. if you remember. I do not recall that. It, um, wait, is it, like, mechanical? Uh, no, no. That's that. There's a yeah, there's a mechanic. There's the, the, the army of Oz, who's okay. just one mechanical guy. Okay. But, no, her... Instead of Toto, she comes with a chicken okay. this time, but the chicken, once it crosses into Oz, can suddenly talk. Okay. And anytime the chicken would have a line, this guy down the road from me would go, <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, like he's like mocking, laughing at it. Like, oh, I can't believe I'm watching this crazy thing. Like, no, we're here to watch a movie that's good. We're not here to laugh. Like, it is weird. It's a weird movie. Yeah. We're not all here to laugh at this movie like it's fucking Teen Witch. All right? Which just showed up on Netflix, by the way. And, and I was, everyone should watch. I was seconds away from watching it last night with uh, with Josh. <laughs> God, it's so good. Yeah. I love it so much. Um, a dog. A dog. <laughs> <laughs> you remember? I le- yeah. I burst out laughing. I was talking with Josh yesterday, and we were, and we were talking a little bit about Teen Witch. And then I thought for a moment... <laughs> 
Like there was a lull in the conversation. I remembered the little brother and burst out laughing. And he gave me this weird look. And I was like, you just, you'll know it when you see it. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. But we're not here to talk about teams. We're here to talk about Return to Oz. Yeah. Um, uh, which, uh, yeah, it, it definitely holds together as a, uh, as a whole movie. Um, but I, maybe I'm just more mature, but it, it, it felt, I think when I was in high school, the, the, this darker take on the story. Cause I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember like the, no, it's the, yeah. Yeah. And it's dark even before you get back to Oz, mm-hmm. it's dark. Like, yeah, she's going to get electroshock. Uh, like, right? yeah, yeah. She's going to get, uh, I want to say Judy Garland, but uh, Fruz- Dorothy. Yeah, it's Fruza Balk. I yeah. couldn't remember the character's name for a second. Dorothy um, is going to get yeah electroshock therapy because no one believes her no. and they think she's crazy. Uh, and then she goes back to Oz and things are real shitty. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, then it gets even dark. There's the the queen who can change heads. Do you remember that? Yep. Uh, so she has this hall full of heads yeah. and glass. Each cases. of them are alive, right? And like, well, they sleep. Uh, when she's asleep. Okay. But, and so, um, Dorothy has to try and get the potion that brings things to life so they can bring the couch to life to fly out of the castle. That I don't recall. Um, and she wakes up the main head and so they all wake up and it's just this row of heads, not screaming any words, just, ah, screaming at Dorothy. That's terrifying. Yeah. Um, and aren't there like villains that not the flying monkeys, but no, they're no, like the, on the motorcycles? Wheel, wheeler, or something? No, they're wheelers. They have. Okay. Um, it, it's made to look like they have like double long arms with wheels instead of hands. Oh, okay. I'm sure they're just they're stuntmen holding. Yeah. You know, uh, extensions, but they have these super long arms. So they're like they're vehicles and people at oh, the okay. same time, uh, and they um, wear hats that look like sort of tragedy or comedy masks oh okay so but they look down while they're wheeling so you just see these masks coming at you and then all of a sudden you think you're looking at a face and then it flips up and there's an actual face um that's great yeah it's really cool uh anyway i don't need to go into it um it was is uh, it worth watching for yeah those? It's def- definitely worth watching again and you know we've been saying for years at this point that we're going to do a walter merch profile episode yeah. we do it mostly as an editor because yeah. he hasn't directed that much stuff uh but this would definitely come up if we did that. Oh boy. Um okay, so I for reasons that I will go into now um <laughs> uh because I want I wanted totally to, unnecessary disclaimer. I wanted to put it at the uh at the beginning of the show and I thought, "Oh no, I'll get to it." Uh basically, uh for my other podcast, More Than One Lesson, we are going to do our first premium episode. Um, and it will cost $2.50. This is to help send me to the International Christian Film Festival. I'm already going. It's just trying to recoup my costs. Um, tell them that. Tell oh, them that you're going oh, is... Yeah. Contingent uh, in, on... Yes, that's what I was looking for. Okay. Uh, I was going to say incumbent. That's not the word That's not... For. Yeah, no. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we, we're going to... Our, our premium episode will be about Kevin Smith's Dogma. Okay. And so we rewatched that a couple days ago. And I went in fully expecting, and I, that's the thing. I don't want to go into too much detail now. Otherwise, otherwise people won't pay that two fifty. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not talk. Um, about but, uh, I'll say this. I went in, I hadn't seen it in 12 years, maybe even longer. Um, yeah, I don't think I've seen it in full since the theater. Okay. And, you know, thinking back and even at the time I thought some of the jokes were kind of funny, but I thought it was, it seemed like. From a philosophical standpoint, it seemed pretty juvenile. And uh, in watching it, 
I still think the philosophy behind it seems like uh, it has the tone of a uh, high school freshman who comes back home for the summer and decides it's time to start lecturing his parents. <laughs> uh, it kind of feels like that a little bit, but um, but there's more there's more to it than I remember. There are things that I genuinely respect about it. Um, it's a lot slower than I remember. It's a, that's a solid two hours. Um, yeah, I remember it being long. I remember that. It's a little, it's, there's a lot of exposition and stuff like that. But anyway, uh, it wound up not being as painful an experience as I was expecting. And so I'm actually really looking forward to recording the episode with Josh and really, uh, delving into it because it also does bring up, cause it does, it is a sincere effort on the part of Kevin Smith to kind of deal with some of the stuff that he grew up with and some of the yeah, philosophies yeah. he grew up with. And so I, I respect that. My problem with it going back to you know 15 years at this point is 2000 right uh maybe even 99 i don't remember exactly okay um going back that long my problem with it, i remember is that the kevin smith aesthetic works when you're making clerks or morads or ch- chasing right. amy but if you're gonna have a story with this scope and this sort of these for lack of a better term supernatural elements yeah. um i think either the aesthetic should be a little grander to fit it or it's not being grand should be the point. And I don't think either one, I just feel yeah. like he's... It's uh, shot in a very pedestrian way. Yeah. yeah. Which works for, you know, even Clerks had stylistic choices as far as how it was shot. Uh-huh. But like Mallrats and Chasing Amy are done in a very pedestrian way. And Dogma, certainly, when we're dealing with angels and demons, it really shouldn't be that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, TV. We got some fun TV to talk about. Okay. Um, I should have pulled up my, my, my uh, list. Now I have to fill. I have to vamp to okay. fill the fill the space. So TV, TV, TV means television. That's where we get TV from. Um, I could just go television. while you're while you're doing this if you want. Okay. So um, now, last time we talked was the 26th of February. So um, have you? Now I know you don't watch Modern Family. No. And normally it's not a show that I would bring up when we do this because I bring up stuff that's more noteworthy. And a right. show in its sixth season that's um, the definition of hit and miss at mm-hmm. this point um, just doesn't usually warrant it. But they made some news because they did an episode, I don't know if you heard about it, shot entirely on Apple products. Um, no, I didn't know specifically Apple products. But well, yes. I, and that, you know what? That's not actually um, – the one of the creators addressed that, that because it's not – it's not uh, other than the one interface where you're seeing Claire's laptop screen, which is clearly a Mac. Yeah. Uh, it you're not see, you're just seeing. Yeah. Um. It, it could be any phone that has video capabilities or whatever. Um. But the Steve Leviton said we weren't paid anything for it. I'm a Mac guy, so that's what I wrote. Yeah. That's what he says. I don't know. That's so I was. But in any case, I was still annoyed by the gimmick from the jump. So much so that it took me about a day after watching it to admit that was really funny. It was yeah. a re- it's a really funny episode. Uh, and I, th- I would- sounds to me like you would not enjoy Barry Levinson's the Bay. Cause is it funny? Uh, parts of it, but no, it, the, it is a found footage movie based where the footage that is found is just a combination of security cameras, news footage, and then just various people's devices. Uh, it works really well. It's a nice blend of things. Like there's a way to make that work if you do it the right way. And it sounds like this, like, so the, was it funny in spite of its gimmick or because of it? I think it used its gimmick uh, in, in great ways. Um, like, uh, ways that you think of as, I mean, going back to when modern family was new, it was compared to arrested development a lot. 
Um, I don't. I, I think because it's gotten a little stale, those um, comparisons have gone away. But th- this did seem like the Arrested Development, or um, maybe uh, also kind of a Joe Dante type of thing of just cramming in as many jokes as you can mm-hmm. in places you wouldn't. Nec- you might have to do a second watch because because you're seeing on the. Um, You've seen Claire's computer screen. So sometimes there are jokes that I didn't know about till the next day because they're just like written in like email subject lines or weird things. Like she has a she has a to-do list up that she is adding to. Um, and one of the entries, one entry on the to-do, to-do list is meditate slash buy wine. <laughs> <laughs> so and I didn't notice that the first time. There's a lot of little jokes like that uh, that are that are pretty great. But um yeah, I really liked it. But you and I need to talk about The Amazing Race. Okay. Uh, now, you and I had a big conversation about this a couple of days ago. Maybe we should have saved it yeah. for the podcast. Um, but uh, the you talked about Amazing Race a little bit last week. Yeah, yes. Uh, when we did the movie journal. Because you had watched the premiere and I hadn't watched it yet. But now mm-hmm. two episodes have aired. And we've both watched both of them, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so you already said what the premises uh for those who don't know it has um it's a all dating uh season so like there's 11 teams Mm -hmm. six of them are people who have been dating for various months of time yeah and then five teams are made up of 10 people who didn't who had never met before the show it's a blind date they were matched by i don't know some sort of cbs algorithm i have no idea how they did it with the gay guys, they just picked two guys who look exactly alike. Okay. Now, I can't tell if you're being facetious when you say you can't tell how they did it. Like, this guy's a doctor. We've got a nurse. I wonder oh, if we should put yeah, them well, together. You're right. Yeah, they do. I didn't even think about that. Because there's two lawyers and two doctors. Yeah. And again, the two gay guys who look exactly alike, yeah. which I haven't figured out which it's one a little is which strange. yet. Oh, yeah, no. Um, but, yeah, at this point, uh, this early in the race, I never know anyone's name. Um, okay, so what's really astounded me is the thing that I thought would happen is the exact opposite of what has actually happened. Okay. Um, I thought that these teams not knowing each other would be a huge hurdle. Would right. be like would, would just they would not know which detour to pick. They would not not agree on anything. It's actually had the opposite effect. The uh, with a couple of exceptions, the blind date teams have done really well. Yeah. And I honestly think it's because there's a level of civility like because they don't know each other oh, they yeah. kind of have to be a little more polite and more respectful toward one another and they end up working together because i think what happens with people who are dating for a long time you think oh they know each other so well well it's like, but i think sometimes they think they know each other better than they actually do so yeah. one person is making decisions based on what he or she thinks the other person yeah. will or will not be good at or or, or like and it ends up getting in their way and it also just, a couple that is like the the what the show calls the blind date couples uh-huh. um they're unlikely to think to themselves oh they always do this like <laughs> right. they're not gonna they're not going to add that layer to it and so you know they're in the process right. of well, discovering what the other person is capable of and so rather than simply say like Let's say they come up against a challenge that one of them thinks they can't do and the other thinks, well, I could probably do that. They're going to just come out and say that rather than like deal with any of the relationship stuff yeah, that yeah, might yeah. go with it. And there's uh, – let's talk about the team that you and I both had problems with in the first episode but for different for reasons. For different reasons. Which is really, really interesting. Yeah. But, but before we get – something with that team, 
uh, so the first thing they had to do this mud run like with some obstacles and there were two flights mm-hmm. who so the first six teams to get the to get to the end got on the earlier flight yes. right and so the guy gets to the mud run earlier and the 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 woman is still lagging behind this so she comes out of the last one and she stands up and she's like brushing herself off while there's like one thing left yeah you know and he doesn't like i think he's probably a little miffed i was watching it like sure. don't you realize what's on the line like get the mud off you afterwards get this thing they ended up not getting it they ended up being on the second flight i think because she stopped to like yeah. uh, worry about how much mud was on her but he at no point said like what the fuck are you doing like he didn't yell at her yeah it it was able to be a thing that happened that was probably annoying yeah that they moved on from right i think because because they have to be polite yeah because they had met 20 minutes ago right now let's get into speaking of being polite our differences of opinion because you okay. talked about this team briefly last week and said that you felt sorry for for the guy because he was stuck with someone that just didn't seem i, I don't remember what your exact words are uh but i might have said stupid but I, I i don't actually think she's stupid because you can't frankly you can't have the job that she has and be stupid yeah you know she's a I mean? pediatric nurse yeah that, i feel like that's yeah. probably that requires some intelligence yeah. um and just uh but i think it's just and it's not even i think that i don't like her i think it's just that they're not compatible but and the I, show I still, clearly but, thought they would be but i i just want to bring this up because you you did put like sympathize with him being oh, stuck with much. someone yes he's um, really talkative and yeah and also i i mean you and i see eye to eye the thing i just described like clearly not focused on winning a million dollars which yeah. is kind of why they're all there that would be annoying but i felt when i watched it with that in mind i, I think i i felt like i think this is the team that he's talking talking about and i feel entirely different i feel like mm-hmm. she was talkative she was overly uh, overly talkative because he wasn't giving her anything. I think he mm-hmm. felt I mean he saw immediately when you and I what you and I saw which is that they're not as compatible as the yeah. producers thought they would be and he lost the ability to just be nice. He just like shut down and there's the whole time when they're in the car and she's talking and talking and then it keeps cutting back, you know, the camera not cutting uh uh what is it? I guess a pan? Yeah. Panning back to to him and he just isn't saying anything and it goes back to her and she says something else, but she's waiting for him to talk in those spots. He's not living up to the social contract of being a sociable and polite person. I also found myself much more annoyed with him. I I also found myself wondering if he's just that sociable a guy anyway, like he doesn't seem like he doesn't seem like he's eager to talk. It's just kind of this. He seems like a very quiet person and a very shy person in general. Um, but yeah, and one thing, and, uh, and I think another thing that I think you, I heard you talk about on uh, Hey, watch this is that some people really bought into the, actually not very many people bought into the gimmick of like, Oh, a romance could blossom from this. Uh, the, the teams that do well are the ones that are like, we'll worry about that another time. If at all, uh, regardless of what the show might want us to do, we want to win a million dollars and it's bad enough that we're already going to have to split it if we do. Uh, but we're just, that's what we need to focus on right now. And so I think she was somebody who might have actually been toying with the idea of like getting to know this guy for uh, vaguely romantic reasons. Um, and then right, right, and right. I think that has actually started to go away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. When we talked last week, you, you hadn't watched the second episode. Now we both have. Right. It's a much different. They seem to have met yeah. each other in the middle and yeah. the end working, are working together much better. Yeah. Um, how many TV things do you have? 
Um, uh, I know one of them is shared. I mean, uh, Gotham, I watched Gotham okay. again. This is uh, another episode that's pretty solid. Like once they, I don't know, they, they seem to be trying to make larger points about the world of Gotham City uh, while still developing certain characters, but using that to to explore the world as opposed to, oh, here's, here's Poison Ivy. We all know what she's going to be like. They did. I think they hopefully they feel like they did that enough and now they can actually just do something with these characters rather than wink at us. And so. Um, so, yeah, this was a pretty good uh, episode as well. And uh, and I hope like if they keep this level of quality going, I feel like the show is in is in pretty good shape. Um, I'm going to talk very briefly about an episode of Broad City that uh, really resonated with me. It's called Citizenship. OK. Um, and. It, it, I mean, it's very funny as Broad City uh, always is. But uh, what uh, what what really hit home with me is I feel like at, at least in the past decade or so, culturally, the idea of patriotism has become the has lived in the arena of the right. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Um, and I like that Broad City, which is as uh, you know, uh, liberal in its politics as any show on TV probably mm-hmm. um, isn't uh, it, 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 that it gets it takes a moment, uh, a couple of moments in this episode to be sort of uh, sentimental about America in ways that the right might not like. Basically, the the premise is that Alana's uh, roommate, um, who's uh, I don't think we yeah we never know what he says. He says he's from Latin America. It doesn't say what country he's from, but he's a a uh, very small gay man named Jaime and he is becoming a citizen in this episode. He, mm-hmm. And, and so they um, sneak their way onto this like corporate booze cruise thing. That's going to go around Manhattan. Um, and he is, uh, and so at the end of the cruise, he's like this, um, he's talking about being, uh, and he's the goofiest character, but he's talking about all the decadent times he's had, making out with boys on this cruise Mm -hmm. and getting drunk and eating free food. And he's talking about decadence in terms of freedom and a sort of harmless decadence. And then it ends with them all, not the episode, but that that act ends with the boat that they're on passing the Statue of Liberty. Mm -hmm. And they take a moment to stop and look at it as they pass. It was a very emotional moment. And then there is an epilogue where he actually, you see him actually get his... Uh, literally go to like the ceremony where he gets a citizenship and he's wearing um, American flag contacts. So it ends with him like being very happy, but this push on his face where he's like really terrifying because he's got American flags in his eyes and then cut to credits. Um, but I, I, I just, uh, I, I don't want to talk about, I, I could talk about Broad City every week because it's one of my favorite shows that's on right now. But I wanted to, to mention that because I am someone who is, uh, generally pretty liberal and also I consider myself very, very much a patriot. Mm. Uh, and so stuff like that really, uh, really speaks to me. Now for the record, I don't want to necessarily speak for the entire right, but I will say that, uh, the vast majority of them are completely in favor of legal immigration. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 and, and I, don't, I don't think this was really an immigration episode actually. I mean, it's funny you say that. Okay. Um, I think it, it used that sort of outsider or a newcomer perspective to look right. at America. But I think it's more about... So uh, when you said that you had a problem with, that you think they might have a problem with it, you mean more just the decadent aspect of it? The gay okay. thing and the decadence oh, okay. thing. Yeah. I think that's more what, what not necessarily that they wouldn't have a problem with, but you don't... It's something that culturally we don't see patriotism celebrated in that way. Like, isn't this a great country? 
um, where uh, there's opportunities to be openly gay and sneak onto a booze cruise and drink free beer yeah. and and eat uh, tons of free shrimp. Like that's not. <laughs> I don't think most people would be thrilled at the idea of sneaking on to somewhere because that is, I think, illegal. Right. Uh, well, if he's there and he's not supposed to be, and you're supposed to pay to be there, and he's not paying, one, then one of them uh, of the of the four, one mm-hmm. of them was supposed to be there, and then they sort of, um, yeah, I guess manipulated getting a plus three, which is not something that really exists. Yeah, I wouldn't think um, so. But yeah, then there's a running joke on the, it's a it's these um, it's this like finance uh, company. Uh, like investment it's unclear what exactly the people the actual of uh uh event on the boat is but it's, it's a it's a work event for mm-hmm. these uh finance people and there's a running joke where they don't talk about things in terms of uh years or months they talk about it in terms of quarters mm-hmm. so like oh one guy's like the one guy's planning to uh ask his girlfriend to marry him on the cruise and he's like we've been dating for 12 quarters <laughs> um, anyway uh so that's broad city um we talked about the Parks and Rec finale last week, right? Yes. Um, I want to see... Okay, uh, uh, keeping with the word broad, Broad Church is back. Okay. Um, and I think... Now, you didn't watch the first season no. of Broad Church? I think you'd really like it. Remind um, me which one that is. Is that the one with David Tennant? It's David Tennant okay. and uh, uh, Olivia... What is her name? From um, Hot Fuzz. Uh, she's like the one female cop in yeah. Hot Fuzz. Um, uh, Olivia Coleman? Does that sound right? I don't remember um it, yeah it's not it's, williams it's not wild yeah <laughs> i almost said olivia williams but it's not um i think it is olivia coleman uh so it's them and then um uh, and, and yeah it's a the first season was the investigation of a 11 year old boy who was murdered hmm. um not happy stuff it's a it's a very heavy grim show i think some people um had problems with the first season because i think we t- we will talk about this next week with our guest a little bit. We've already recorded an episode. Oh, indeed, yes. But uh, the idea of people, what people expect out of quote-unquote serious TV. Mm. And so I think some people came to this looking for it to be prestigious because it's beautifully shot um, and uh, it's very accomplished in terms of its uh, presentation and direction. And it's about a kid getting murdered like it's not happy stuff yeah. so the idea that a lot of the middle of the season is sort of classic whodunit stuff with like red herrings um and and blind alleys and that sort of stuff but done in a serious way i think i think some people just had their expectations uh in the wrong place and it kept them from enjoying it i thought it was very good um i was skeptical about a second season mm-hmm. because uh what is another kid gonna get murdered in this uh, town is that just what's gonna happen every year <laughs> and every year a kid gets murdered uh but and at no point do they ask hey uh something might be wrong with this town uh, <laughs> yeah. maybe we, let's just burn it down right yeah um but they did a really interesting uh, I, I didn't I, I read ahead of time about um what the second season was so if you're still trying to avoid spoilers i'm gonna spoil what the premise of the second season is uh at the at the end of the first season, David Tennant catches the guy and he confesses full confession. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, this episode starts with it's finally it's his trial. It's not a full year later. It's it's a it's been a number of months, um, but it's his it's his trial and it's supposed to be it's expected to be because this guy confessed uh, a sort of a cut and dried situation where he pleads guilty and gets sentenced. <clears throat> the guy stands up. He says, you know, he says the judge says, "How do you plead?" And he says not guilty and so now 
this is a different show. This hmm. is a different story. Instead of being the investigation for murder, yeah. this is now going to be a courtroom procedural for 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 a season. Because That's kind of great. Now, yeah. Now, but now this town that went through, you know, the small town where a boy was murdered, uh, and it, you know, the town went through this thing, and the very moment that they're other, uh, you know, so many people are showing up at the courthouse for this moment of closure. Yeah. Instead, it's ripping the wound back open. Yeah. Uh, it's so I'm really fascinated to watch. Uh, how they do the second season and it's added some heavy hitters um in the cast um eve miles from torchwood you probably don't know who that hmm. is um but also uh uh charlotte rampling oh okay is um the new prosecutor and the new uh criminal attorney defendant is marianne jen baptiste oh i like her so it's a great cast and then there's someone else and i am forgetting people are going to kill me um there's another big actor jeremy irons uh no um there's another because another thing that's coming up is a is a crime a case from david Tennant's old town that he lived in um is also sort of coming back to the forefront and so uh there's some some new some new that's what eve miles is is uh is part of and i him completely drawing a blank on the name of this other actor who's very a very recognizable actor oh well i can't find it here it's not important oh my all right uh, for a while it is olivia coleman um okay Uh, actually it just occurred to me uh i will say really quick um i did watch the first three episodes of the third season of house of cards and uh they're taking the show in some very interesting directions yeah uh I will say I, I've never considered the show to be amazing. Addictive is not the same as good. Um, a lot of it is a very addictive show. It's it's the show that it's the kind of show that just lends itself to wanting to watch the next episode. But that's not the same thing as as being like, oh, I'm very invested in in all of these characters. It's more like, oh, how's he going to get out of this one and stuff like that. Um, whereas now, for reasons I won't go into for spoiler purposes. Um, now that the character has achieved, uh, you know, a good portion of what he wanted, um, now it's like, okay, so n- he has nowhere to go, but like he can't, he can't go up anymore. So now it's just about staying where he is. And so, so it's a different vibe and it, it seems to be trying to develop the characters and relationships a little more, which I respect a lot. But here's the so that's a good thing. The problem with that is that now because we're at this point we're inside the White House where you know we're mm-hmm. watching we're watching like foreign policy stuff and all that sort of thing. Um, that's all well and good, except when you're only focusing on that and not the the backroom machinations of this of this character. Well, now you're inviting comparison to other White House shows, uh-huh. as opposed to other purely political shows. There is a difference, and this one I think doesn't. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't um, capture that as well when they talk about specific, the specifics of a deal or a bill that is going to be up for a vote. It just it doesn't feel like a world that we exist in. Like it's all very broad strokes. And, and that's, you know, that's fine. So part of me is like, oh, if you're going to take the time to develop this character and the, these relationships in this world, you need to put more time into it because 
House of Cards has always felt like a script that I wrote in high school called The Model Citizen about political corruption. What does a high schooler know about political corruption? Exactly nothing. <laughs> All right. But it sure was fun to write and have characters that just embrace their sleaziness like Frank Underwood does. So the, so that's what that's the fun of it. But now that you want to take it seriously, you need to take it seriously. Uh, but I'm, but from a character standpoint, I'm still interested, uh, and, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, and there's also, uh, sort of a Vladimir Putin character played by, I don't remember his name, but he's, uh, Mads Mikkelsen's brother. Oh, cool. And, um, and I like that. I like that character. I like what they're, what they're doing with him. So, uh, so yeah, I just wanted to mention that. And then finally, uh, and hopefully we can, we probably won't talk about this quickly, but uh, I did watch uh, The Last Man on Earth. Well, I was going to get to, uh, yeah, because, um, yeah, I, I wanted to point people to, uh, I know we didn't talk about the How to Get Away with Murder finale, but that's because I talked about it at length on Hey, Watch This, and I wrote okay. about it on the website. You can find other thoughts there. Uh, and also, um, you can tune in to me in a couple weeks on the Televerse talking about Gossip Girl. I've been re-watching some early Gossip Girl episodes and then reminded just how great that show was. Um, and getting sad about just how far it fell after its second season. You should do a Gossip Girl podcast. Now, if only we could find a co-host. Yeah, well, um, give me a give me a week. Okay. Um, I'm sure we'll think of somebody. Okay, but yeah, let's end here with The Last Man on Earth. Yes. Something that you and I both watched that I think is one of the greatest things of 2015 so far. Mm-hmm. In, any, in any medium, it's one of the greatest things that has happened to me this year. <laughs> <laughs> wow do you what, feel like your year has peaked uh i hope not okay but what did you think of it uh i thought it was pretty wonderful i really it is amazing how a show can be so depressing and funny at the same time yeah uh will forte it's the best i've ever seen him Kristen shaw same deal um and i guess that's not much of a spoiler i mean she shows up early yeah at this point okay so um so why, so it is true that he's the last man on earth, but he's not necessarily the last yeah. person on earth. It, uh, and it, uh, he's yeah, he's the last man in America, probably, but actually probably not because if the show goes on for a while, yeah, they'll they'll probably. have to do some more things. But yeah. uh, but they, and, it's called the last man on earth. But he only looked in America. That's true. That's how the yes, and only in the continental forty eight states. Uh, I did as I specifically looked as he's crossing things out on the map. He did cross out Alaska. Okay, but not Hawaii. Not Hawaii. Who okay. knows? Maybe that's uh, nothing touched Hawaii, which I could see. Um, it'd be fun. But how is he going to find out? How is he going to travel to Hawaii? Yeah. But nonetheless, like, but that's the thing. Questions like that and just really not unlike The Walking Dead, which I don't think is the, a very good show. But what I like about it is that it allows – because it's a TV show – Episode by episode, you can just explore this world a little bit more and a little bit more. You can really delve into the ramifications of what this means. And with The Walking Dead, it's like, okay, and I have to sift through a lot of shit characters to get there. But I at least I at least like that we are inhabiting this world for years as opposed to a movie where it's just mm-hmm. a couple hours. And this is like that, only with characters I'm much more invested in. And it brings up all kinds of great stuff. Like – Christian Shaw's character, annoying they, though she may be, clearly she is clinging to things that she feels like, if I don't cling to this, I'll go insane. And it seems to be working because yeah. he, who hasn't clung to the rules of society, yeah. has gone, I wouldn't say completely insane, but yeah. uh, he has degraded to a certain extent, and she hasn't. The scene in the bar <laughs> when he is asking his 
just army of friends yeah. if they want a whiskey and just it keeps going on and on. I love it so much. Like it's, it is very funny on top of everything yeah. else. It's very funny. I, I don't think the first, before he meets Chris and Shaw, he finds her clothes hanging from a clothesline, including a bra. Yeah. And my first thought was like, really, if the, if there was no one else in the world, would this woman still be wearing a bra? And then you get to know the character and you're like, Oh yeah, Absolutely. she would. If yeah. not, if not a habit. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, uh, I, I love that the, the, I almost said the film of the show, um, wait so long to introduce another person and um, seriously puts forth the idea and seems to believe the idea that other people are what make life worth living. Yes. I think that's an actual line. I'm at least paraphrasing. But um, uh, And then brings in another person, the thing that he's been craving yeah. for at this point close to two years. Yeah. And he doesn't like her. That's that, such a great idea. That is so marvelous. It's funny, but it's not... It, toys with the idea that it's like other people it's not merely other people that make life worth living it's having to engage with them and bec- and change as a result like yeah when you're whether whether it be with a friend or a coworker or a, a a spouse when you're engaging with someone you have to perpetually compromise and some would say no you shouldn't compromise you have to it's called civilization it's how it works and w- and this toys with the idea that even with two people as, and they've been they haven't seen anyone for years, but they still have their own way of doing things. And civilization only works, and it's only rewarding if you're able to work together. The presence of another person is all well and good, but if you can't work in conjunction with that person, who, then it doesn't matter at that point. Yeah, and it's exploring such great things in, uh, in such a great way. Uh, another one of the things that uh, to go back to Christian Shell's character. Um, and the idea that she's introduced as being irritating because we're seeing her initially from his point of view. Mm-hmm. But we come to realize that her way of life actually has a lot of merit. Like I said, yeah. she's more sane than he is. Yeah. Uh, and there's a great part where he's, you know, ignoring parking spots and yeah. traffic uh, signs. And uh, he's ignoring all the rules of civilization. Yeah. And she says, well, would you just like burn down a church then? And he says, no, because that's a church. And she says, yes, that's a church. And, and this, this is, is a store, store and that's a parking spot. Yeah. Like these things only have the meaning that we uh, give them. And if yeah. we don't continue to give things meaning, then what are we? The, what are, where are we living? That's, and his whole thing, his whole thing is like, it doesn't matter anymore. And she's by saying, would you burn down a church? She's pointing out. It does matter. It's just to us, it matters to different degrees. And who are, and since there are two of us, 50% of us, 50% of the world says that's a handicapped parking spot right. <laughs> and we don't park there. Yeah. And so, and since you just acknowledge that everybody does have a, a breaking point as far as morality, like then who are you to judge me for being a little right. bit stricter about that? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love this show. And again, it's also really, really funny. It is also very funny. Like and, these are deep thematic things that, and they do not sacrifice laughs to get there. Yeah. I, I, I'm so excited about it. Uh, so much of the stuff that he does when he's just like trying to keep himself busy, you yeah. know, bowling in the parking lot with, uh, <laughs> Uh, with the aquariums, uh, and then I love he puts on a suit of armor and stands in front of the tennis ball machine, um, and then it gets called back in a way that's that's more funny and more sad. Yeah, uh, fantastic. Song. It was. It's also fun to just reveal certain things, like when he's decorating his new house, uh-huh. and you just see all the stuff that he has and it's that he stole it's, yeah. that he stole from museums and the white house and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that he has a couple of oscars I, I and a heisman i just it's great 
Oh yeah, he did have a Heisman. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, that's very funny. All right, um, let's. I think that's it. All right.